0: Hello, and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson, and this is Episode 3 of History on the Table. Okay, we're back. Uh, We're already a couple months into the new year, and uh, we're on to Episode 3 of History on the Table. I thought I'd do things a little bit differently this episode, then last episode if you haven't listened to the last episode i did a i did a review of Battle Him volume 1 from Compass Games and i thought i'd continue kind of a review of a game and then also spend some time covering some other topic you know related to, to wargaming so for this episode what i thought i'd do is i'd spend a little bit of time on Mark Semenich's Normandy 44 and then I thought I'd also go ahead and spend some time talking about my most anticipated games of, of 2019. So that'll be the, the plan for today. And then, of course, I'll talk about games uh, that are new to the shelf, what I've been playing, what I've been reading, those types of things. One thing I thought I'd do before we get too far into this episode is I haven't really given any guidance or, or mentioned how often or the regularity that I, that I plan on putting these episodes out. And I've struggled with it. I, I don't want to commit to a bi-weekly schedule. Uh, that's kind of the order that the first couple episodes came out. Just because by the nature of my work, I can get really swamped at times. And so that would obviously prohibit me from putting out as many episodes as I want, especially during tax time and uh, end of the year. Of course, you know, when the holidays will come around, I'll, I'll be busy with that. So I like the idea of one or two episodes a month and I, that's what I'm going to strive for. I'll, sh- I'll strive for two and do my best to, at, at the minimum, get one out, and we'll just go go from there. And I apologize for the irregularity, but I think that'll be best best for me. And the only other thing I'd add before we uh, dive into the meat of the episode is just a quick follow-up on Battle Hymn Volume 1. So Eric Lee Smith was kind enough to reach out and discuss a little bit about Battle Him, uh, give me some feedback on his thoughts, on my thoughts on the game, but of note, what I found really interesting is, so Battle Him Volume 2 is actually a, a pre-order without hesitation, so I didn't read any of the updates on the the Volume 2. I just figured we'd go same rulebook into Volume 2, just new battles, right? But uh, I'm quite surprised because... Battle Hymn Volume 2 will actually add two new things. So one, there's a new solitaire set of rules. The game is already very solitaire-friendly. Because of the chip-pull mechanics, there is an option for hidden movements. Um, You you can mask your units in a two-player game. But other than that, there's no hidden information. So the new game will add further solo ability. That's interesting. And then also, there are two map extenders. That expand and add, I believe, two full new scenarios. One is kind of a what if scenario, and actually, I, I don't recall what the other scenario is for the Gettysburg game. So, if you're already, if you already own Battleham Volume One, uh, great news. If if you had interest in getting Battleham Volume Two, well, it's going to come with some some extra content for uh, Battleham Volume One. Uh, so that's great news. It it makes a an already no brainer pre order for me into a even more definite uh, pre order. So. Alright, well, those are the only uh those are the few updates I, I figured worth mentioning. As far as what's on the shelf, uh so a few things acquired in one way or another. One, or I guess two, unrelated to the the main topic of this podcast are my first dip into tabletop sports simulation games. So if you follow me on Twitter or, or know me personally you know I'm uh, my wife and our big hockey fans my wife is a huge Carolina Hurricanes fan and I'm a big Winnipeg Jets fan I also really enjoy uh, Her- Carolina Hurricanes as well so we watched a lot of hockey and then this last month we both uh, traveled to go see our favorite teams so we saw the Jets and the Canes play it was a great time so Stratomatic Hockey got that have the have the current teams we uh and then we ordered the, I think the 52-53 season, which has like Rocket Richard and some other great players. And then we also have like the pack of Hall of Famers. And so my wife and I played it, played a game of that. I haven't been able to play that as much as I'd like to. But it, it's pretty neat. Um I'm hoping the advanced rules of Stratomatic add more. I, I know they will. But it's a little bit role playing you're not making a a lot of decisions in the base game you're essentially your most common decision is to take an outside shot which for most players isn't as great odds as an inside shot or you can check their penetration rating against a a random die roll or random card flip you can use a die or you can use these cards anyways so that's um and try to go for an inside shot you can penetrate the d or, or whatever um so that's your main meaningful decision in that game otherwise you're just uh checking results against a table it's fun but I'm hoping as you add rules you make more meaningful decisions and so the other of uh, relating to that also hockey blast which is a similar game I guess Uh, haven't read the rules yet, but the plan there is to set up a couple teams or four teams and do a four-player playoff. The thing I like about Hockey Blast is you can get a guideline for making your own players, making your own teams. Um, And I think it gives a little bit more narrative in the results. So usually in Stratomatic, if you take a shot and there's a rebound, it just says that. But I think uh, you it just says rebound to uh, defending center, right? But I think with play... I think there's a little bit more color commentary in the results from what I've seen. Again, I haven't read the rules yet, really haven't gone through the components, but that's that's what I've gathered at least. So I think uh, I'm really looking forward to doing, uh, my plan is to do an Advance After Combat guild-themed fourteen playoff. Um, which, if you're not familiar with that podcast, which I assume a lot of my listeners are, it is, after all, the most prolific wargaming podcast on the internet. Uh, that's the Advanced After Combat podcast. They have a guild on Board Game Geek, and uh, they're they're okay. Couple other things: Command and Colors, Ancients. So this is for my wife and I play. I'm almost certain before my wife and I, I mentioned my wife and I are big fans of Memoir forty four. Uh, we've tried to dabble into other war games. Uh, I know I mentioned I tried to get her to play both Festung Europa, uh, that was a no go, and then I thought maybe Battle Him would be a good game. And again, that wasn't for her. So I told her about uh, commands and colors. And I, I've i played a few Vassal games of it and really enjoyed the system. The battle back, it, it just feels that much more meatier. Your decisions are more meaningful and it's a little bit more complex. I mean, you're still doing with the commands and colors series, so it's not a crazy amount of complexity. Um, so that's for both of us to play. The base game and then the first three expansions, which is something like over a thousand blocks so that'll be fun. Although those don't have to be sick at all at once. But because that's for both of us, at least I have a partner in crime to help me get through that crap. A couple other things to note. So with the uh, convention coming up in May, Beyond the Rhine, which is an OCS title from Multiman Publishing. Uh, later on, I'm going to talk about the Blitzkrieg, Blitzkrieg Legend game that we're currently playing, which is the German advance into Belgium-Holland and then into France. And, and then the inverse of that is kind of beyond the Rhine, which is the Allied advance across the Rhine. And so we have a four player game of that coming up in the spring. So we have a copy of that. Talon 1000 was just kind of attack on. Played that game yet, but this just adds. Uh, I think the big draw here is the amount of scenarios it's at, it adds over a thousand, I guess. I think there's some new ships. So as I get out of X Wing, which I haven't played in a long time, I think that'll be a nice system to explore. Of course, the the great the thing I'd love to do one day is just like everyone else is play Space Empires 4X, and then you know carry out your battles using a, a Talon game. Sounds awesome. Probably will never happen, at least not in the immediate future. Okay. Also, a new game from Hollandspiel came out. So Brave Little Belgium, which is a chit draw a game about Belgium during World War I. And when Spiel, my first interaction, or my first discovery of this game was during Spiel's 2019 outlook. And this game, I didn't even get a chance to put it on my most anticipated games before it was out and in my possession. Uh, so other than the fact that it's chit draw and it's World War I and it's Belgium, that's about my knowledge of the game. But Spiel's description of the game really sounded interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to play this. It's, it's kind of a unique... It's pretty small... It's not very counter-dense. And, and I looked at the map, and the map isn't isn't massive. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really know what to expect, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, the last thing is Labatai de Quatre-Bas. Quatre-ba. I don't know. I may be uh, butchering that, but that is an entry in the labatai day series which is i am I'm, I'm not the guy to ask about what exactly this system is all i've seen i've heard it discussed on the advanced after combat podcast i've seen images of it being played and there's just it's looks like a really fascinating system covering napoleonics now, Napoleonics is an era of history that I know little to nothing about. I haven't read many books about it. I haven't watched many documentaries about it or anything like that. So this is a whole new system and a whole new era of history for the most part uh, for me to explore. From what I can gather about Lava Thai is it's a very detailed battalion-level Napoleonics-era game. And that's about it. I can tell you that Labatai de Quatre Boss again, Brass, I, I, I'm probably butchering that. It doesn't matter. Uh, I can tell you that it's one of the opening battles of the Waterloo campaign, and I know that this particular game is a smaller game compared to some of the other Labatai entries, but um, I know you can pair it up with Ligny, which is much larger. So Labatai day ligny i guess um and so my goal here is all right let's try this system out with a smaller game and then hopefully i can pair this if this is a system i enjoy if this is something i can get to the table and and play i can pair it up with ligny which from what i understand the gameplay of ligny is probably a little bit more interesting than the quatre bra so yeah hopefully sometime in the next year i'll have a lot more information because this this obviously does you no know good. There was a thread posted in the Advanced After Combat Guild of the best place to start. And there were some other recommend, recommendations, but De Quatre Bas was recommended. And i got to say, compared to some of the other games, it's there are a lot of counters. But at least in this box, there's not an overwhelming amount of counters that you're dealing with here. So uh, we'll see. And I will report back whenever I get it to the table. Okay, so those are things on the shelf. I gotta say, out of that, I'm probably most excited for Beyond the Rhine, just because I know that's getting played. Lava tie and then um, the the hockey games. Oh, before I forget, I uh, there's one more, and that's at Any Cost Mets. So, I, I already have a couple games in the Blind Sword system, which is the system that Any Cost Mets uses. Um, so, there's Stonewall Sword, which is an older game, and there's also Longstreet Attacks. Longstreet Attacks and Stonewall Sword are both from Revolution games. I think you can get them as uh, like Ziploc games or, or you can get them as, as box games. Hey guys matt here as i was editing this episode i realized i completely left off thunder in the ozarks which is another entry in the blind sword system that i have that covers the battle p ridge also from revolution games and so my goal is over the next year i have a lot of goals you know play these tactical games play lava tie hell just play war games in general but uh, one thing I'd like to do is sit down with those three games and, and just kind of compare them and give my three thoughts on the games. Now, there was some interesting discussion on AAC Podcast, and and I'll, I'll get off their nuts here in a little bit, uh, but it's worth mentioning their most recent episode, there was some good discussion about the victory conditions of ending cost Mets, which I found interesting. So, again, French history, not not my strong suit at all, but from what I understand, and I may be getting this wrong, one of the victory conditions on any at any cost Mets is you can withdraw from combat to the fort at Mets, the fortifications at Mets. But from what was relayed in that podcast episode, and I recommend you go listen to it, is essentially that's what the Prussians. I don't. I don't even know who the French were fighting. That's terrible. But I'll find out when I play that game. Uh, That's essentially what the French enemy, the enemies of the French wanted was for them to go withdraw back to the fortifications at Metz. And so they brought up a good point. Well, why the hell would that be a victory condition? But I think I can look past that. And I think it's also only a victory condition or really a concern in the campaign mode that lets you set up. Uh, more freely. I think in the more historical campaign, it, it may be harder to pull that off. Uh, but I'll find out, and eventually if we ever get to a Blind Swords podcast episode, we'll review that and uh, discuss it further. Anyway, but, from what I've gathered, I think the gameplay is is, is supposed to be great. Uh, I don't think anyone, from what I've gathered, has any complaints with how the game plays. I think that's the biggest concern at least what I gathered there about that system the game looks great and so it should be a lot of fun should have a lot of solo ability because it it to you know like battle him or brave little Belgium is a chip pull game so we we'll, we'll, uh, a lot of this is secondhand uh, uh, this is all hearsay because I haven't explored any of these games or, or the system. But even with even with that knowledge about the weird victory condition thing going on, I'm still really interested in uh, in that game and uh, long shoot attacks and Stonewall Sword, which from what I've gathered, I think that's what people like the least, at least the opinions I've read on Board Game Geek or, or wherever else. So we'll see. Okay, so those are, yeah, those are games on the shelves. Uh, got a little sports action going on. And then, uh, you know, a couple new editions there. Okay, let's go over to the bookshelf. So, typically what I do is I have an audiobook going. Sometimes I'll have two. Like, right now I have one audiobook going. And then I, I switch between that and Rayera Chronicles. I'm also listening to that on audiobook, which is uh, the audiobook narration on Rayera Chronicles is, is fantastic. If you're into fantasy at all, I, I highly recommend that. So, I have at least one audiobook going. And then I'll typically read one print book. And I'm, I'm pretty good about keeping that straight. Anything beyond that, it gets a little muddled. So, unfortunately, my progress on Enemy at the Gates has stalled, although I have some travel coming up, which will be my prime time to get back in Enemy at the Gates. Uh, I'm really enjoying what I've seen so far. I've been able to read a little bit more since the last episode, but no real update, and that's I don't think I'm going to have any kind of new commentary on that book than anyone else in the last however many years. It's such a popular book. I did wrap up Stephen Sears' Gettysburg book. Uh, overall, I, I recommend it. I think it's a nice next-level book on Gettysburg. Uh, of course, anyone could dive into it. I'm not saying you, you need to read something else before you read this. But it really helped me having an, having already gotten through Shelby Foote's work on Gettysburg. It was a lot easier to track because Stephen Sears really gets, he almost goes down to Corps commanders and then down, is what I'd say. There's not, I mean, he obviously spends time discussing Lee and Meade, but uh, he he spends a lot more time. On the brigade commanders as well, which is nice. Uh, so I do recommend it. I listened to it on audiobook, and that was fine. Again, having just gone through Shelby Foote's Gettysburg work uh, helped. I did get lost in the weeds because he he goes in so much more detail. So back when I read Landscape Turned Red, which again is his work on the Battle of Antietam, my my complaint on the book was it just needed a little bit more visual representation. So more maps. Right. And then without even thinking, I, I guess I, he's I an audible credit on the Gettysburg book, not even taking a second to think like, Oh yeah, his Gettysburg, his Gettysburg book will likely be just amount as same amount as detail as his Antietam book. And it was, it was well-written. Everything was great about it. I, I just could have used some more maps. For whatever, if it's worth it or anything to you, I gave it like a 4 out of 5 on on Goodreads. So after the Gettysburg book, I, I went to Modern Era. When I was clipping counters, I don't know, a month or so ago, I stumbled across the Medal of Honor series on Netflix, and it's fine. It's nice background noise while you're clipping counters. It's good stories. One of them that stood out was the Cop Keating story for Clint Romaché. And I I dug in a little bit, you know, did a Wikipedia search, whatever, and found out that Clint Romaché, who was one of the two Medal of Honor recipients for the Battle of Cop Keating, Command Outpost Keating, was, uh, yeah, Clint Romaché was one of the two Medal of Honor recipients. And he wrote this book called Red Platoon with, I, I believe, the assistance of everyone in Red Platoon that survived or many of them. I'm not sure the details. Uh, So he wrote a book and I was skeptical at first and I, I wanted to use some audible credits before I, I stopped my subscription because I've, I have so many books on there. There's no reason to keep it going. But if you, if you ever stop audible, you lose your credits. Okay. Uh, Getting a little off track here. So I wanted to use them said, Hey, that's interesting. I thought it would just kind of be a cheap money grab. But it was fantastically written. I could not put it down. I, I would I would park my car and I would just sit there and listen getting more and more of the story. It was incredibly tragic at times. It was uncomfortable at times with the the amount of detail and the uh, the wounds that uh, some of the soldiers sustained. But overall, it was just fantastic. I, I could not get enough of it. It's a really. Just moving story and uh, pretty, pretty fascinating. He doesn't pull any punches in his critique of the position of Command Outpost Keating, uh, which was essentially, you know, a fishbowl. They were at the bottom of the fishbowl, is what he makes it out to be. Check it out. I highly, highly recommend it. Again, for whatever it's worth, I gave it a five out of five on Goodreads. So now I've transitioned into and I thought this would be a nice book for February to read, David Blight's Frederick Douglass: Prophet of Freedom. It's okay. I'm probably about 10% in, so it has a lot of room to improve. Right now I just keep asking myself, well, why don't I just read one of Frederick Douglass's autobiographies because that's Blight's primary plimer, primary source right now. At least and he references that a lot. And sometimes I feel like the author tries, it gets a little verbose. Maybe because he's trying to cover such a great orator such as Frederick Douglass. But I, I'm still optimistic. Uh, just, But I, I'm already starting to like, well, damn, I should have just read Frederick Douglass. But maybe he's not as readable. So we'll see. Uh, I'm optimistic. Okay, that's the bookshelf. And <clears throat> I thought real quick, I'd just kind of run down. Uh, what I've been playing. So if you listen to past episodes, and I've already mentioned again, I'm trying to play these tactical level games. So I played a little bit more Band of Brothers face-to-face this time, and I just got my ass kicked. One, the German player had great positioning. So we did the... Oh my gosh, the scenario is going to... I want to say it's like Carrington or or something. It It's a village... And it's easy company and it's completely escaping but it's probably the fourth or fifth scenario in the rule book of Screaming Eagles. Anyways, uh, so the German player is set up on the edge of the map and he can, he can face dummies. And essentially what uh, the German player did is there's three rows of buildings and he set up all his forces in the middle row. And I could not for the life of me get any kind of suppression on the German units or when I did, it wasn't enough. Uh, and that game is all about suppression and then moving because you want the, your opponent to, if they're suppressed, they need to basically check, pass some round check any time they do anything. So, for example, you get in your building, uh, so you you have protection, you take a shot at the German player at the building across the street, and you hope for the best because as soon as you storm out in the open, he gets all kind of modifiers to just light you up. And I could not get any meaningful suppression on any of his units, and I was just destroyed. I think the only casualty I inflicted on him came on like the last turn when uh, it would not have mattered. We still played it out, and he stormed out in the open. So, uh, but yeah, so so great. Uh, but obviously, the the die rolls uh, played a big factor there. But also, he had a really strong defensive position. Uh, I already mentioned Stratomatic; been playing that. Couple of OCS games, so we fired up the OCS Korea campaign. I don't have a lot to say because we've only taken a turn. Other than uh, so, as I as I learn and explore the OCS system, I'm learning the importance of uh, keeping basically organization and how important keeping your shit organized in that system is. Because already in a turn or two, I think I've had two activations I've already forgotten. Uh, anyways. In just a turn or two, I've already kind of muddled up my forces and the supply. Uh, but we'll fix that. Um, so that full campaign is something like 107 turns. And I, I mentioned that because uh, we've been playing Blitzkrieg Legend, which is a completely different scale in terms of uh, the, the hex distances is, is different. And also your time the timetable is different because obviously it's Blitzkrieg. So you want to storm into France and Belgium and Holland as soon as possible. I think the full campaign is only something like a dozen or 14 turns or something like that. It's, it's really not that many. But the game probably... The game has taken longer than uh, our, our opening night of OCS Korea because... And we have two players on the German side. So one allied side and two Germans and the the counter density is so high that that first turn took us like the first German activation took us something like five hours which blows my wife's mind that we would sit there and play a game and a half a turn takes five hours but it's a really neat system it's just really dense and or I mean OCS is obviously a neat system but it's a neat scenario it is very very dense especially south. So I'm playing kind of the right wing of the German army. So my main concern right now is Belgium and Holland. And then, uh, we got one guy on the left wing and, uh, he's obviously pushing through the Ardennes and then Belgium as well. And then one player, the guy with the most experience in OCS out of the three of us is taking, um, the allied side so far the things are going okay historically as far as the right wing goes i'm behind on having holland surrender so how you get holland to surrender in that game is you need basically an armored vehicle of some type next to rotterdam amsterdam and there's another port city uh, i'm forgetting the name like didn't hung or something like that uh i'm sure i just butchered that and then the allied player will roll for Holland's surrender. So we've had three German activations and no Holland surrender yet. Uh, we're in the middle of a double activation, and I feel like I I need to get it this turn. So we're behind pace historically. So the Dutch surrendered on May 14th, 1940, and I want to say we were on the May 16th turn. So I'm really feeling the pressure to to drive into, my goal right now is to get next to Rotterdam. Um, That's where I see the biggest hole in the Dutch-Belgium line, Um, and I need to get there really before reinforcements do. Uh, So we have a double activation lined up. And we're, we're going into the move phase of what will be our fourth. And then if if the Germans are still in the right position at the end of the allied players activation, the uh, the Dutch will roll for surrender. So that's that's the goal right now. Uh, I'm so worried about that. I, I can't comment exactly how things are going in the south. I know that the left wing and the German army just had some terrible die rolls on our most recent play. But overall, I'm really enjoying... The This play, I do feel bad that it's so time-consuming. It's just there's so many units to move. One thing we're going to do is I'm going to take off a little bit more of the left wing, kind of the the Germans in the center, so kind of on the Belgium-France border, so on my very left edge. I'm going to take command of those. A couple other things. Started up a game of Hold Fast Korea with Jason, one of the co-hosts of the Advanced After Combat podcast. And so the first the first turn was pretty, or the first half was pretty interesting. We'll probably wrap this up in our next play. It's a very light game. If you wanted to introduce someone to wargaming, the Hold Fast system, if they're like these other games, would be something worth looking at. Now, I think the games can be hit or miss. I think some games people like a lot more than the others. But Hold Fast Korea is pretty interesting. Basically, what it's boiled down to is uh, North Korea tried to advance Obviously, U.S. forces or uh, the other U.N. forces come on the board. I got lucky. Once the U.S. forces cross the 30th parallel, the North Korea player starts rolling for China intervention, essentially. so ch- And the first couple times you rolled, China did not intervene. And you basically, each time you roll, you add plus one or, or minus one. I don't remember if you're trying to get above or below a certain number. And I was about one victory hex, maybe two, away from an automatic victory when, of course, uh, Chinese intervened. And so now it's a race back to the 30th parallel. So it's done a pretty good job of simulating what happened historically, which is interesting that a game that's so light was able to pull that off. What will be interesting as we play the second half of this game is seeing whether or not that's... Like, do we end up in a quagmire where we're just going back and forth on the 38th parallel? Or or is there going to be some flexibility to explore some other options? So, last spot we left off is I withdrew uh, the Marines and uh, the U.S. Army before they could get cut off from kind of the eastern wing of the Chinese Army. And just kind of withdrew. Uh, so, kind of on that eastern Shore of North Korea, just north of the 30th parallel, is kind of where they're holed up, and then the, the North Korean and other UN forces are just holding out right there on the parallel. Okay, so that's what I've been playing. Really looking forward to, uh, as of recording this podcast, I have a couple games of ASL starter kits scheduled uh, in the upcoming week. So the next episode, I'll be able to give my initial thoughts on that. So, looking forward to that. Okay, so a couple more topics. Uh, we'll wrap this up. It's ran a little longer than I anticipated, but that, that's all right. That's how things usually go. So it'd probably be best if we just went ahead and moved into our featured game this week, and or this episode. And the game I decided to spend some time talking about this week is GMT's Normandy '44 from Mark Semenich. Uh, this originally came out in 2010, and I recently wrapped up a full play of the the campaign scenario of normandy 44 uh, and just had a fantastic time i think i think normandy 44 is a prime example of a game that proves you don't always have to have the the newest latest thing which is a case of the pot calling the kettle black because um i <clears throat> i like having the new war game that that just came out just like everyone else but For me, I think Normandy 44 illustrates that a game from nine years ago is just as good as a game that comes out in 2019, Um, because although nine years doesn't sound like a lot in terms of board games, especially, I think, even more so in the Euro game side of the hobby, uh, nine years is a long time. By the time nine years goes by, everyone's essentially forgotten about you, but I don't think that's the case with Normandy 44, because Mark Semenich has developed and created this this system of rules that share a lot of similarities uh, that make for a, a really engaging game experience with different topics. Uh, so so far, just a little bit about what I'm going to be calling, I guess, the 1940X series of games from Mark Semenich. <clears throat> mark has developed this series of games uh this system that he's able to apply to different world war ii engagements and it's either at the divisional scale which is what i believe his upcoming stalingrad 42 game that's coming up is set in uh, i believe the ukraine 43 is that right the ukraine game is also regiment or divisional level um, but the Normandy level, let's, let's go back to Normandy 44, that's actually set at regimental level. So there will be small differences between these the games in the 1940X family, but overall they share a lot of similarities. And I think the biggest similarity they share is this concept of zone of control bonds, or ZOC bonds. So if you're at all familiar with war games, it's really common if you're playing a hex encounter game for a unit in a hex to exert a zone of control to the six hexes that surround his hex. And when a unit enters that zone of control or zoc, usually there's some kind of effect. Well, what Mark has developed with this zoc bond is essentially you have your unit, and if he is linked to a map edge with another... F- or if he is linked to another friendly unit or the map edge, they essentially draw a line that forms an impassable bond uh, between those two units. So you can't advance... Into that bond. You cannot retreat across that bond. And what I think it allows you to do. In, in in these series of games. Is set up strong defensive positions. Obviously. Or counter strong defensive positions. And we'll talk about. Um, strong defense in this game. Because I, I think that's another strong. Component of this game. That, that gives this series. It's particular fa- flavor. But anyways. You can also use it to your advantage. So a Normandy 44. Particularly, what's going on is you have the the English right, or I guess if you're if you're looking at Normandy, you have the English on the left, the Commonwealth forces on the left, and the U.S. forces on the right. Right, uh, that makes sense. And the Brits are primarily focused and tasked with taking Carn, and then the U.S. are tasked with pretty much taking and cutting off the supply source from Cherbourg, and then kind of everything into Normandy past the historical line um all the towns and objectives or victory point hexes. And so what what happened in my most recent game is Carn became a stronghold that the Brits could not get past. And and one thing you can do is you can set up these bonds that allow supply not to flow through. So I guess hypothetically what you could do as the Brits because it's so hard to get the column shifts you need in this game to take a take a position is you could cut off Karn and you don't have to occupy every hex. You can, you can establish these strong bonds. Anyways, it's a really interesting mechanic that works well. I have not seen it in other games. It may exist. It may not exist, but it is shared across this, this series of games. A couple other similarities. Generally the, the sequence of play, and the overall mechanics of the game, how the games feel, they all feel very similarly. It's a pretty straightforward rule set. Um, there's nothing too complex here, especially once you understand the concept of Zoc bonds. But I think this game is deeper than what the rules in this series as well. The whole series is deeper than the rules kind of let on. So, typically, how a turn works in Normandy 44 is you, uh, the Germans get a full activation and then the Allied player gets a full activation. And that starts with the German player receives replacement points, which are determined each round with the weather roll. So, maybe the German player gets uh, infantry replacements or armored replacements, etc. They apply those replacements and then they go to their movement phase. And the German, during the movement phase, the German. Player reinforcements come on the board at pre designated hexes, usually three dif- different hexes. The German player has the option to delay their reinforcements a turn, which is can be painful to, to move them to a new area. I haven't seen any player do that in the games I've played. Um, maybe it's a viable strategy, maybe not. And then the German player conducts their turn. Most of the movement concepts you, you'll see here are, are common in other Hex and Counter War games. There's nothing too unique. Uh, you have reserve movement. You can put marches in reserve, that type of thing. And then you go to combat. And generally, the allied player turn is about the same. They get a predetermined amount of replacements depending on the weather. and the uh, And then they get reinforcements. The big difference is... In Normandy 44, Allied reinforcements are almost like shopping. So you have a chart of units in UK still. And each side, depending on if, if the mulberries are set up on the beaches, gets so many points to... I'm, I'm sorry, mulberries do not affect the amount of units you receive. Mulberries affect the amount of artillery that's available to the Allied players. So you get so many points to go shopping in the UK, and you can bring reinforcements onto the beachheads. Uh, so, for example, you get six points worth to go shopping for uh, a U.S. armored division and maybe, uh, or I guess it want not be a full division, but um, a, a regiment of infantry, whatever whatever you're shopping for. Basically, you get points to go shop from the, all these available troops that you can bring on the beachheads. And so that's different. And that's that's pretty fun because you get, like, these these mechanized infantry units that, that maybe have a ton of mobility, but they don't have a lot of armored firepower, which can be uh, – Uh, a full column shift, depending on the circumstances in this game. So other than that, the the Allied player, other than having different objectives, is pretty much the same other than the reinforcement phase that the Germans have. Uh, So objectives, the Allied player is just trying to beat the historical clock. The German player is trying to stop that. Each side can achieve an automatic victory. The Allies need to capture the... All the city hexes of Karn and have I believe four units on the edge of the map, and then the German player needs to reduce either Allied or Brit British troops two steps. So they need to. There's some three-step units. They need to basically inflict enough casualties to get an automatic victory. Uh, What's interesting about the Allied players is you have these Canadian troops available to you. And they basically don't count towards your, it's called, you're tracking cadres. So units that have been reduced twice reduced to cadre level. You're keeping track of units that, three-step units that have died or been reduced to that level. But the Canadians don't count. And and Mark said in the designer notes is that basically is to give the allied player some units to work with at their disposal. So if the Canadians take the losses, it's not that big a deal. Uh, So those are the objectives. I think what what makes this game great is the, the combat. Uh, it's, it's pretty dependent on the die rolls, but what it's more dependent on is the column shifts. So, one distinction in Normandy 44, and I believe all the other 1940X games, I don't think any of the other ones have an 18-combat factor limit. So, as the attacker and defender no matter how many guys you have helping out and there's rules about who's halved and who can contribute to the attack and all that stuff, but it's all pretty straightforward. You're capped at 18. And so what that means is if, if a defender is able to just have two infantry units and get enough terrain modifiers to get them to 10 combat factor, even if you go after them at 18 or let's just say uh, 30 strength points, you're going to reduce down to 18 and 10 times 2 is 20. So a lot of times, as the defender, it's really easy to secure a 1-to-1 odds ratio, which makes it really difficult, or not difficult, but the allied player needs to be really selective in their attacks. One, they have to go for places where the German player isn't getting a strong terrain modifier, either because it's all silhouetted units, which means that... Some counters have an actual picture of a tank. Those units do not receive terrain modifiers or just or just going after units that are out in the open. Because two infantry regiments, I keep saying divisions, which is just me misspeaking because this is a regimental level game. Let's just say you have two infantry regiments in a hex and it's bocage. Even if that's two, a, a three and a four combat factor infantry, well, the bocage adds three. So all of a sudden you're going from a pretty easy two to one to alright, I'm one to one or even worse, they're in a city and you just have a six there. And I think a city adds something like four or five combat factor. So you you go from a a three to one if you're attacking with eighteen points, and all of a sudden you're at one to one and you can't do anything about it unless you they're within range of the naval bombardment. The weather allows for aircraft you can get a troop morale or troop quality shift. So if your troops are better than theirs, they have little numbers that indicate that, you'll get a shift. And then the armored shift. And so you want to position your allied armor. And And I say this generally because most of this game you're going to find the allied player on the offensive. I guess the German player could try and be really... That's another automatic victory. Basically I think if they shut down enough beaches, they the German player can wins, uh, win. But other than I, I tried to be aggressive once, and I it, it does not work well as a German player. Maybe someone better, more skilled at the game can do it. But typically throughout this game, you're going to find the allied player on the offensive. And so the allied player is going to look for those opportunities to exploit the fact that they have armor superiority or they're within range of HQs, which allows them to use more artillery. Uh, and they really need to be selective, and they need to be able to cut off the Germans in certain situations to deplete their supply or prevent them from retreating because if they're cut off from a valid retreat path if you're able to force a retreat the player will the defending player will be they'll have to do a determined defense essentially which is a die roll and they may be able to stay in the hex and but they may take some more losses that type of thing but if they have to retreat and they can't they're going to face elimination as well and so a pretty simple game of the US player or the Allied player is going to activate, or the German player is going to activate all of his guys, and then the US player is going to activate all of his, and we're going to tally up combat factors, and then we're going to roll dice, and we're going to look at a table. Really gets made interesting by this, by the terrain modifiers and this 18 combat factor limit. And it makes for tough decisions because you can't just, as a US player, you can't just go attack willy nilly. Uh, sometimes you you have to do that. Uh, one-to-one attack because one thing I love about Normandy 44 is it illustrates key positions really well and the first time I played this I, I really quickly picked up on the importance of Carrington because of how the game is designed and how history worked is Carrington was necessary to link Omaha and Utah Beach and so you have to take that city because that's the main road that drives through connecting Utah and Omaha. And you're not going to have enough troops to help out the airborne that lands, um, that lands near Utah. If you don't link those, it'll take way too long to drive deep into Normandy and link up using other roads. And I really, I just found that interesting. And I like that this game illustrates the importance of those historical places. And that's all done through, you know, I mean, it was obviously historically important, but Mark Semenich has made this great terrain effects chart and has illustrated this great map that that forces you into these, uh, these decisions. And so props to him. It's one of the reasons I like this game so much. And since I, I mentioned it, I'll go ahead and say that the map design... Uh, one reason I love Mark Simonich Games so much is the maps. I think he's one of the best map creators in the business. I'm also a big fan of Dean Essig maps. And there's some others that, unfortunately, I just couldn't tell you who drew them. But those are definitely two of my favorites. And uh, the Normandy 44 map is, is great as well. Uh, so it, get, it gets points from me and that department as well. So what am I forgetting about Normandy 44? I think it does a great job of telling stories. In that very first game I played of the campaign game, I could not take Carrington. And it was really becoming a thorn in my side trying to link uh, those two beaches. In my most recent play, uh, you know, some crazy shit happened. Like uh, the German player eventually gets a Tiger tank who gets a full shift for free even if they have armor superiority already, they get another shift on the uh, combat results table and you can, it's not in the best use as the allied player do an airstrike on units. And I think I needed a natural six to be able to hit his tiger tank. And so like the first or second time this guy rolls up with his tiger tank, the, uh, the fly boys came in and just took it out of, or it knocked it down a step and and it's, the German players limited on when they can bring a replacement to the tiger. And so knock knocked the tiger tank out of commission and it really never rebounded from that state. And then also, so in our most recent play, we played the full campaign game and it went all the way to the end. We had to count victory points at the end. The Allied or the US push deep into Normandy uh, was much more successful than the Brits. Basically, the Brits took a couple hexes. On the side of the canal and river closest to the beaches, the German player was able to push them out of Karn. And so then there was this back and forth. And even at the end of the game, still, uh, the Germans were cut off a little bit more in their retreat paths. And so they took a lot of losses. But even at the end of the game, they still had held the key hexes in Karn. So Karn was a, a failure. It was pretty abysmal. But the U.S. forces were ultimately successful. And that, that reminds me of another thing I want to mention with this game. Sometimes I see, uh, whether it's on Reddit or BoardGameGeek, I see Normandy 44. Uh, I think people are quick to call it a D-Day game. And sure sure it is. What I think this encapsulates more... and I, I don't think this is some grand notion. I think this is obvious to anyone who's played the game or really looked at the game. Normandy 44 is a game about the... Allied Invasion of Normandy much more than it is about D-Day. D-Day is such a small element of this game. You spend your first turn basically rolling dice after dice to see the quality that your troops arrive in Normandy on. And that's about it. And so if you're looking for a purely D-Day game, Normandy 44 is not the game for you. There's no beach uh, movement. You're You're not really advancing up the beach or anything like that. This is a game that really covers, I think, very well the Allied advance, subsequent advance into Normandy. And then, I think this is a good time to talk about the book that I would most recommend for Normandy 44. And then also, I think I'd go ahead and read it with Ardennes 44, which is recently back in print from GMT Games, uh, which is... Semenich's Battle of the Bulge game using a using this system, this 1940X system, or whatever he wants to call it. There's one book that I think covers both Normandy 44 and Arden really well, and that's Citizen Soldiers uh, by Stephen Ambrose. And that covers the U.S. Army from Normandy, I think all the way to through the Bulge and then to the surrender of Germany. I want to say... If I remember correctly, once you get past the bulge, it kind of s- speeds up a little bit. But what I like about this book is it, it it's it's big picture. It's big picture, but it also focuses in on individual stories and the individual experiences of U.S. troops during World War II. So what I mean by that is you get some pretty like heroic individual stories about soldiers fighting in the hedgerows, but then later on... You'll be talking about the German uh, overall plan with the Bulge. And then maybe in another chapter, you have a whole chapter talking about, you know, the field hospitals, things like that. It's, it's pretty well written. I, I enjoyed all the information provided. It's not, if you're looking for like a scholarly review, I, I wouldn't say that. It's pretty light. Uh, it reads really well. I would say that the audio narration is okay. Um, it was able. I was able to get through it just fine, but I've definitely heard better narrators. So what am I forgetting still about Normandy 44? I really can't think of anything, and I think this is a game a lot of people will be familiar with. So a lot of these topics won't be anything new. But again, going back to my point at the beginning, I think Normandy 44 is a great example of games... That uh, that just shows that games, just because a game is old or dated, doesn't mean it needs to go anywhere, and it doesn't need a lot of updates. I think the 18 combat factor is an interesting rule in Normandy 44. It's frustrating at times, especially if you get a series of bad die rolls. And you and so for example, if you roll bad weather, that's great for the German player. Um, they get better replacements. There's less. Uh, allied aircraft to worry about, and so as the Allied player, if you get bad weather, you're almost—if you get a storm turn, you're almost just sitting by, waiting for the next turn, because the attacks probably won't be in your favor unless you have just a really sh- strong attack you can make. So, if if I had one complaint about this system, I think it could be that it this game really swings on die roll results, maybe more so than than other games. It can be really frustrating, I think, if the die results aren't going your way. Especially with the weather turns, but that's as long as you don't get terrible weather and odds say you won't turn after turn after turn, you should be okay. And the weather can go both ways, so sunny weather is terrible for the Germans and stormy weather is is great for the Germans. Uh, That would be my, my biggest complaint. I think there's a lot of stuff to manage, and I think the allied turns can get really long... And the German turns can be really short. So, if you have a more defensive minded German player, once they're, you know, they can get bunkered, hunkered down in Karn pretty quick, and they'll spend turns moving to go reinforce them. But uh, the Allied player can have a lot of troops to move and a lot more tough decisions to make. Because once once you have your defensive positions and if they're well established as a German player, you're just going to be moving up to reinforce those positions. You're not going to be repos- repositioning your, your front line constantly or really making a lot of tough decisions on, on where to send troops. It'll be pretty obvious. And so I think the allied player turn can get a little long and that may leave the German player just kind of sitting, sitting on their hands, just waiting for the allied player to attack. But that's not unique to Normandy 44. I think that's an interesting problem that a system like battalion combat series addresses really well or chip pull games addresses really well because like with our blitzkrieg legend game um you know we take a five hour turn and that may be our whole day and then you've t- you've had a half turn a five hour half turn so you, one side gets to take their turn and that's with two people controlling a side i, I don't know maybe i don't know how much longer it would be with one person uh, overall, I think I think Normandy 44 is a fantastic game. It's a system that I really enjoy. Admittedly, I've only been able to play two games so far. Normandy 44, Holland 44. Holland 44, I know I've mentioned in past episodes, is a game that I, I'd like to revisit just because I played so poorly the first time. And then by the time this podcast goes out, I will have received from P500 the Arden 44 I'm sure, and we can talk about that more in the next episode. And then, which is a nice segue into the other topic for this this episode, and that's the most anticipated games of 2019. So there's a few games on this list, or not on this list, that, for example, we know are coming out soon, but we don't know for sure when they're coming out. The main example of this is P500 stuff. For example, I'm really looking forward to next war Korea, but I don't know if that's 2019. I don't think there's been any indication that it'll be 2019. A couple other things have already been mentioned on past episodes and will probably be in my possession by the time this episode goes out. So Arden 44, Empire of the Sun, that type of thing. I also talked a lot about front or a little bit about front toward enemy and to take Washington. That type of thing. I'll mention them just just so I can, I guess. But those are coming out in 2019. Or at least MMP has indicated on their 2019 production pipeline post that, that those are coming out in 2019. Uh, so what I thought I would do is talk about the other games in more detail. And, and the typical disclaimer here. I know I less things off. But... I guess if I left them off because I forgot them, then they wouldn't be my most anticipated. Another thing I'll mention is there's no order to this. I think I've kind of grouped them by publisher. I didn't rank things. I don't think there's any, because there wouldn't be any difference really between 10 and one, unless something's like my most anticipated game. So where do I want to start? I guess I can start with Multiman Publishing, because I'll mention that they had a 2019 production pipeline, post on twitter it's subsequently been posted to board game geek you can find it pretty easily just google multi-man publishing 2019 production and i'm pretty sure the list comes up okay so a few things uh brazen chariots probably makes this list that's the new battalion combat series games if i were to order them it'd probably be towards the bottom i want to explore that system i really do uh, we went in a lot of detail last time but I'm having a lot of fun with OCS right now. So OCS is is kind of my primary goal. Um, so I haven't decided if I'm going to pre-order it. I probably will. Who am I kidding? So that's somewhere on this list. The other thing is ASL Starter Kit 4 has been announced. And on the production schedule scheduling for 2019, this is scheduled sometime after Front toward Enemy. Uh, and after to take Washington. But I think it will go pretty quick in 2019. And by the time that comes out, I should have some starter kit games under my belt, especially since I'll be playing soon. But the interesting thing about ASL starter kit number four is it's priced differently than the other starter kits. So when I circled back on my declaration that I'm never going to play ASL, the thing that brought me in was ASL starter kit number one was only like 20 bucks. And I think this is a $60 starter kit. So we'll see. I think it's well worth it. This is Pacific Theater, which I, I'm pretty sure all the Pacific Theater stuff from the main ASL line has been out of print for a long time. And so that'll be interesting. Uh, you get some I'm sure you'll get some Marines and Japanese forces, that type of thing. Uh, another one from MMP. Uh, Michael Rinella's Monty's Gamble Market Garden. So Michael Rinella's Market Garden game. If you're not familiar with Michael Ronella, he does Area Impulse games, and I've only played one, but I really enjoyed it. And I played the Operation Battleaxe, which is a North Africa game, and that's a whole concept of games that I really like to spend some more time with. I mean, there's there's so I say that about so many things, but that's because I'm relatively new to this hobby, and there's still so much left for me to explore. But Area Impulse is basically you pick a area on the map and you activate those guys is instead of activating the whole army or whole divisions you activate an area there's they're not hex Michael Randella's area impulse games are not hex encounter uh, and I'm a little fuzzy on all the details because it's been a long time since I've played operation battle axe but I am looking forward to this game okay so then there's a couple things from GMT in addition to the other stuff I've already mentioned that I've already been charged for I think the obvious one here is Stalingrad 1942. Uh, again, unlike Normandy 44, this is divisional level. And I think most similar, the most similar game to this from the system is Ukraine 43. I think it uses the same rule set, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so I don't have a lot of Stalingrad games. And the more I read of Enemy at the Gates, which, again, is a little... I'm becoming more and more interested. And it keeps, I know it's probably not historically accurate, but it, it brings back those old Call of Duty Stalingrad levels. And those were awesome. And that's starting to like, oh yeah, Stalingrad. That that should be something I look more into, uh, look into more. So Stalingrad 42 definitely makes this list. One game I don't know a lot about, but I'm, I'm really excited just because of Volko Rinke's pedigree is Nevsky. And so this is a mid, like mid-1200s like mid game, and it's Teutonic and then Orthodox Russians, and it's a war game, but I think you're. it's also a little bit of an economic game. I haven't read the rules or, or seen a whole lot of detail about it, but you're also like equipping and outfitting your armies. I, I don't know to what, what extent, but that sounds really interesting. Okay, from Hollenspiel, one of these games already came out, and I have already. So Brave Little Belgium, if I was like a little more proactive and made this list at the beginning in 2019, would have made the list. But it's here. We'll play it. I'm really excited for it. Okay, so John Thiessen has a new game out. And his American Civil War games, or, or coming out from Hollandspiel. his Civil War games have interested me. I think they've gotten okay reviews. A couple things going on here. Ilya Krudishov. I just butchered that. Uh, There's another person whose maps I really like. Uh, He did a really great job with... um, Oh, what's it called? Oh, this is going to drive me nuts. Blood in the Fog. He did a fantastic job with Blood in the Fog map. So, excited to see the map. John Thiessen... Anyways, enough beating around the bush. It's Anthony and Cleopatra. This is supposed to be like a, a streamlined low rules overhead game, which it which is nice. Those can be great, those can be not so great. So but that is something I look forward to from Holland Spiel this year. Okay. a Couple games from Legion War games. First one is DMB and Fu, second edition. I own the first edition, but everything I've seen from either Kim Kang or Bruce Garrick, who sure all you're aware is, um, is this is his favorite war game there are enough changes to warrant purchase of the second edition so I plan on doing that the other thing is again this is solely on his pedigree Kim Kanger's Heart of Darkness so this game is like I think up to six players or something like that are basically an African expedition and that's about all I know about it other than Kim Kanger's making it so count me interested. Alright, Compass Games has a lot of things coming out. I already mentioned uh, Battle Hymn Volume 2. Definitely looking forward to that for the extra content for Battle Hymn Volume 1, as well as the new solo uh, rule set. But there are some other things coming out. One, okay, I'm pretty sure in one of my previous episodes I mentioned that I'm not into the super complex solo games, or or solo games that have a, a really complex rule system. Or... Not even super complex, but like the Dan games, the Phantom Leader games haven't clicked for me, and I I don't have a whole lot of interest in exploring them anymore than I have, which is amounted to like reading through the rules a little bit. But one game is Zeppelin Raider, Imperial German naval airships. I have not had success with these solo air games, but it's Zeppelins, and that sounds fantastic, uh, so I'm in on that. I didn't write down who's making this or anything. I do know it's coming out in March, so we'll get that pretty early in 2019 and I'm definitely going to give it a try. Uh, I'll do my best to learn the system just because of the theme. Uh, Another game. I don't know a lot about is brotherhood and unity. This game is the, the theme is selling me on it. I don't know diddly squad about the Bosnian war and I think that's something I'd really like to explore in, in the Wargame tabletop field. Like, that, that'd that be a cool way to explore a war I know nothing about. Uh, the added benefit here is I think Ilya Krujishov is also doing the maps on Brotherhood and Unity, so it gets some points for the map design. Okay, Mark Herman has a new compass, or not new, a designer signature edition of his 1986 game, France 1944, coming out. Now, my interest in this is coming a lot uh, from the hype that Judd Vance has put out for this game. Judd, I know, has done some development work on, on this game and from what I gather, he's all he already ranks it among his top one hundred games of all time. War games, or maybe it's just all games. I don't remember. Sorry, Judd. Uh, but Judd is someone through the hamtag reviews and, and his content on board game geek has directed a lot of my purchases and turned me to a lot of games I really enjoy so it's someone uh, whose reviews I I put stock into there's several board game users and youtubers out there or or whoever else that I I put stock in their in their um, in their opinions and so from what I gather the combat is completely redesigned and I think a lot of work has gone into this from Mark and to some extent I don't know what his involvement was Judd and so uh, this is a no-brainer for me, and that's France 1944. Okay, another game, and this completely blew by my radar, and this will be coming out, probably out in shipping by the time this podcast release, and that's The Late Unpleasantness from Compass Games. The designer is Steve Rue, or Ruve, it's R-U-W-E, if I understand correctly, Steve passed away in the middle of designing and developing this game, and then there was an effort to get it finished. The interesting thing, and I, I thought maybe this is a typo at first. I don't know what the cooperation here was, but it's great to see uh, Dean Essig is the developer. Um, and Dean Essig is just about as close as you can get to an automatic purchase from me. So I, I don't know what his involvement was. Maybe he finished the game. I, I really don't know. Anything would be speculating, but the late unpleasantness is a it's two campaigns over the seven days battle in the early civil war and then you get Grant's eighteen sixty four Overland campaign. So you get like the wilderness, that type of thing. Uh both both campaigns to take Richmond. One of those games is Gates of Richmond, the other one is If it takes all summer. Uh, so that should be coming out pretty quick, uh, and I expect it any, any day now. Now, again, there's there's games I'm forgetting. There's games that probably would have made this list if I knew more about them. Um, but they're not there. There's probably some games that I am really interested in that I just haven't committed to pre-ordering or P500ing, whatever system you prefer. And some of the games I listed I don't know a lot about but for whatever reason, either the, the system they're using, the topic they're covering, or the designer, or the hype already has excited me about these games. So those are the games I'm, I'm most looking forward to. I think 20, 2019 is going to be a really exciting year for board games. Not just for new releases, but also uh, for myself. I think I'll, I'll finally be able to play some classic games like Empire of the Sun, which should be showing up any day now. I'll be diving into advanced squad leader. I'm going to my first war game convention and yeah, I've just got a lot of great games to play and a lot of neat things uh, that I never thought I'd explore. When I first got into war games, I thought empire of the sun would be this beast. I could never wrap my head around and ASL. Yeah, forget about it. And now uh, there's all these systems, all of this stuff fascinates me and it's all stuff. I want to at least give a good, honest try to, and I think 2019 is just going to give us a lot more games that uh, that I'll be interested in playing. And I know that I've left off some design companies. And that's just, uh, I'm sure I'll ex- discover them at some point. But yeah, I think, I think 2019 is going to be a great year for uh, war gamers and uh, my own personal experience in the war game hobby. Okay, so that's episode three. We'll go ahead and wrap it up. Again, I apologize for the length, but you know, once I get talking, it's hard to get me to stop. I'd really like to hear from you. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments or feedback, feel free to shoot me an email. It's historytablepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's historytablepodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter. It's historytablepod, historytablepod. You can find me there. But yeah, that's gonna do it. I hope I hope everyone's two thousand nineteen is off to a good start. You know, if you want to share your most anticipated games, I'd love to hear from you. Again, most of my most anticipated games came from a thread over an advance after combat that I posted to get other people's opinions on games they're looking forward to, and that turned me to games like the Brotherhood and Unity game. Was I didn't even know that was coming out, and I I don't know I probably would have missed it if I if I didn't post that. So. Uh, What game did I forget? Uh, What game should I keep my eye on? Feel free to reach out and uh, let me know. Okay, uh, until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.